Okay, good afternoon, everybody. This afternoon's class, we're going to talk about penance. Um, we have two classes for penance. So I'll do class one and Miss Beth Saldana will do class number two. So we're going to talk about the need for conversion, interior penance, what are various forms of penance, so need for conversion. We know, we, we talked about the sacrament of baptism. We know that baptism erases every sin and makes us children of God. So this um, action of erasing every sin doesn't seem very significant for a baby or a newborn who's going to be baptized. But for adult baptisms, it is more relevant. So any and all sins before the baptism of that adult person is forgiven. And it makes that person a child of God and prepares every baptized person to receive the divine gift of the glory of heaven. With baptism, we become children of God and we merit being with him in heaven forever. But we know from experience that in this life, we are always exposed to the danger of falling into sin. No one is exempt from this struggle from frequent falls. Um, so we all know it, especially those who go maybe to regular confession. We realize that even if we go more than once a year, maybe we try to go once a month or every quarter. We want to get that um, habit of going regularly con to confession. We realize that we, we seem to be um, always falling into sin. And more so, we seem to be falling in the same sins most of the time. Spiritual writers have said that everybody has a dominant weakness or a dominant failure of character. It might be laziness when we easily give in to procrastination, um, especially if you're your own, your own boss, you have your own time. It's easy for us to push off doing something. So we realize really that there's a big stone of sin in, in our soul. But this should not um, dishearten us. What is important is that we try to struggle always to overcome our defects little by little. We might fall again. And all the priests in our next confession that we have fallen in the same thing, maybe even exactly in the same circumstance. But what's important, we always struggle to be better, a little better each day. And our Lord, who is all good, will see this struggle and he will surely not forget this effort and will most probably call us to him that when we are standing up and that when we are, we are what, and not when we have fallen. The only prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, we say, 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Jesus has said that we should not just pray from time to time, but we have to pray daily. And not only daily, but that we have to pray often each day. So Jesus asks all of us to conversion. It's not only for those who do not know him, but for, for all Christian faithful. So conversion is an uninterrupted task for each of us and the whole church. So they're an in, uninterrupted. So each of us is on this journey, an interrupted journey of conversion towards heaven, towards our Lord. So each of us, the whole church, is on this uninterrupted journey of conversion. We say that conversion starts in our heart. A conversion that is limited to external appearances is not true conversion. It has to be a conversion of our heart. So it is impossible to counteract sin, which is an offense against God, without a truly good act, which is an act of virtue. So this is the meaning of the virtue of penance. Penance is not an exclusively human endeavor. It is not merely an interior readjustment based on strong self-control, putting into play every ounce of our self-knowledge and willpower. We say that penance is... First of all, a work of the grace of God who makes our hearts return to him. So when we say this, we take cognizance also of the freedom that God has given us. It does not mean that when God helps us by sending grace to our souls so that we will be more open to conversion. It does not mean that um, we are forced to say yes. No, God respects our freedom and we are free to say yes or no to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So penance is, is the work of both God's grace and human endeavor. It's the um, yes that... A person says to the graces of God, the person receives in her soul. So we say that interior penance is this radical re reorientation of our whole life. A return, a conversion to God, with all our heart, an end of sin, a turning away from evil with repugnance towards the evil actions we have committed. 
At the same time, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of his grace. So this is what interior penance really means. There is a conversion to God and there is a desire and a resolution to change for the better with hope in God's mercy and the help of his grace. So what are various forms of penance? Aside from the penance that we see during the Holy Mass and the sacrament of penance, Holy Mass, there's this part at the start of the Mass when we recognize our sins. Um, and before the rest of the Mass proceeds, we recognize first our sins. And then during the sacrament of penance, we, we go and we receive uh, the sacrament. Aside from this, um, two ways wherein we can express our, our penance. What are other forms of penance? So the Holy Scripture and the, our spiritual fathers insist above all on three forms of penance. I'm sure you all know what these three forms of penance are. We have fasting, we have prayer, and then we have almsgiving. So these forms of penance express conversion in relation to oneself, particularly fasting, conversion in relation to God, particularly prayer, and then conversion in relation to others, particularly almsgiving. So let's talk about fasting first. So fasting includes not just denying ourselves in a prudent way in what we like to eat, but also anything that means making demands on the body and not giving in to its comfort with the aim of dedicating ourselves to whatever God is asking of us for the good of others and also for our own good. So fasting also is a form of prayer that usually associated with, with food, but it is more than just denying ourselves something to eat. Um, it is also making demands on our body Maybe not standing up from our work table for the next 90 minutes or for the next 60 minutes, not giving in to distraction. So that in a way is also prayer when we demand from our body. Fasting maybe from resting when we force ourselves to go out and walk as an exercise or to join a Zumba class, which we feel takes up a lot of time or is um, very tedious because we sweat, then we have to take a bath and change. So there, those are, those are other forms of fasting also from, from what is easy and what is comfortable. Prayer 
involves applying all our spiritual faculties, our intellect, our will, and our memory. We unite ourselves to our Father God in an intimate and familiar conversation. And then almsgiving. So almsgiving is not just giving money or material goods to the needy, but also other types of gifts, like sharing our time, caring for the sick, forgiving those who have offended us, correcting what needs changing, consoling those who suffer, and many other ways that we have of giving ourselves to others. For other people, almsgiving really the, well, literal meaning of almsgiving is the easiest way of giving themselves. No? When that is easy, then we have to look at the other forms of almsgiving because um, we have to demand from ourselves that which is difficult. And our, our Lord is very wise and he seems to know what it is that is difficult for us. And he, he asks it from us. So the church encourages us especially at certain times, to engage in works of penance that also help us to be more united with our brothers in the faith. We observe this um, especially during Holy Week, during the season of Lent, 40 days of the season of Lent. We are more conscious that we have to be, we have to have a spirit of penance. And then also Fridays are intense moments of the church's penitential practice. I still remember my mom telling us that on Friday, every Friday of the year, their food is always mongo and paksuna. Paksuna is that. So the, the two seem to be a pair. Mongo and Paxiu, because um, they grew up or their generation grew up with making Friday always a day of penitence. So it's not just Good Friday when people fast and abstain, but for the, the generation of our parents, all Fridays of the year. So here, um, uh, I place here pictures of the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. So because this is when our Lord instituted the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So I will read from, <clears throat> from the Gospel of St. John. Chapter 20, verses 20, 20 to 23. So when it was late that same day, thirst of the week, though the doors 
where the disciples gathered had been closed for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. So mm, this is when Jesus already rose from the dead and Magdalene visited the tomb of Jesus and saw that he was not there. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced at the sight of the Lord. He therefore said, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he has said this, he breathed upon them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. They are forgiven them. And whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. So it seems to be very clear. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. And whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. So these are, well, these are words of our Lord to, to the apostles. It is very clear here that he gave the apostles the task of absolving the sins of, of men. We know that um, Christ instituted the sacrament in the, in the upper room. We call it the upper room. The... Well, the 12 apostles were gathered together and Our Lady. They were there because they were, well, a little scared of what the Jews might do to them. It maybe is the third day or the fourth day after the crucifixion of our Lord. So they were gathered together, still scared of what might happen because they were disciples of our Lord. And our Lord came to them gave each of them uh, the, a tongue of fire, you know? gave each of them the gift of the Holy Spirit and told them to institute the sacrament of penance. So Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of the church, especially for those who since baptism have fallen into grave sin and have lost their baptismal grace and have wounded the communion of the saints. So it is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and to recover the grace of reconciliation. So during his public life, Jesus not only asked people to do penance, he also welcomed sinners and reconcile them to his father God. So what comes to mind? Nicodemus, uh, Magdalene, to our father God. So it was when he gave the Holy Spirit to his apostles that the risen Christ conferred on them his own divine power to forgive sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So this power is transmitted 
or was given by our Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles, the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles, on the other hand, transmitted this power to the bishops. That's why we say that the bishops of the church are what proceeded from the apostles in an unbroken line. Successors of the apostles as pastors of the church and to the presbyters or the priests who are also priests of the New Testament and the bishops collaborators in virtue of the sacrament of holy orders. Christ has willed that the church, that the prayer, life, and action of the church should be the sign and instrument of the forgiveness and reconciliation that the church acquired for us at the price of his blood, or that Jesus Christ acquired for us at the price of his blood. So that is how Christ willed it. In the church's prayer, life, and action, we should see the sign and instrument of his forgiveness and reconciliation. So Jesus entrusted the exercise of the power of absolution to the apostolic ministry. The sacrament of penance has a number of names, depending on which aspect is being emphasized or being stressed. We hear of the sacrament of penance since it consecrates the Christian sinner's personal ste steps of conversion, penance, and satisfaction. We also call it the sacrament of reconciliation because it imparts to the sinner the love of God who reconciles his children to himself. We also call it the sacrament of confession. The disclosure or confession of sins to a priest is an essential element of this sacrament. They also say that it has to be auricular. It has to have that essential element. Um, auricular in the sense that the priest has to hear it. In order for the priest to hear something, then the penitent or us, we have to verbalize it. So there is, we also call it the sacrament of forgiveness. Since by the, pen, by the priest, sacramental absolution of God grants the penitent pardon and peace. Because this sacrament, we receive the absolution of God. That is why we call it also the sacrament of forgiveness. And then lastly, sacrament of conversion. It's also called the sacrament of conversion. It is called the sacrament of conversion because it makes sacramentally present the call of Jesus to conversion. So what are the basic parts of penance? So those who approach the sacrament of penance obtain pardon from the mercy of God for the offense committed against him and are at the same time reconciled with the church, which they have wounded by their sins and which by charity, example, and prayer 
seeks their conversion. So a sin is an offense against God, which breaks our friendship with him. Penance has as its, name, as its aim love and abandonment in God. So the sinner is moved by the grace of the mercy of God and sets out on the way of conversion, returns to the Father who first loved us and to Christ who gave himself up for us and to the Holy Spirit who has been poured out on us abundantly. So we return to God the Father who first loved us. We return to God the Son who gave himself for us and we return to God, the Holy Spirit, who has been poured out on us abundantly to help us on this journey of conversion. Through God's ancient and mysterious designs, men are united together by supernatural ties, such that the sin of one hurts all the rest. And in the same way, the holiness of one benefits everyone else. Oh, so what do we call this? We call this the uh, communion of the saints. So we here we see that penance always has an element of reconciliation with everyone else. So when we go to confession, we confess our sins, it reconciles us not just to God, but to the Paradas, to, to the community of Christians in the same way that holiness of one benefits those whose own sin has injured them. So basic parts of penance. There are two essential parts. The acts of the penitent, and the absolution of the priest who in the name of Christ grants forgiveness and determines the ways of making satisfaction or the ways of making penance. So let's go first to the acts of the penitent. So who is the penitent? So the person who is going to confession. Uh, so that's us, no? We are the penitents, or we, I am a penitent. So what are the acts no, of the penitent? So the first act, well, in general, the acts of the penitents are contrition, confession, and satisfaction. So contrition is sorrow of the soul and detestation of the sin committed together with resolution not to sin again. When our contrition or our sorrow for our sin arises from a love of God above all else, we call that contrition a perfect contrition. We are sorrowful because we love God so much and we are very sorry because we have hurt him. So when our contrition arises because of that sorrow of love for our Lord, then we call it a perfect contrition. It's perfect. That's why it 
remits venial sins. It also for, obtains forgiveness of mortal sins if it includes the firm resolution to have recourse to sacramental confession as soon as possible. So perfect contrition, we can um, receive forgiveness even for mortal sin, even if we have not been to the sacrament of confession, because our contrition is so perfect that um, it absolves all our venial and mortal sins. And then we have the other type of contrition, which is imperfect. We are sorry because we fear the ugliness of our sin. And we fear the eternal damna damnation and the other penalties that may arise as a consequence of this sin. So our contrition is generated more by my fear than my love. We have the love of self still in there. And that is why we want to say sorry because we fear the consequences of our sins. So we call that contrition, but an imperfect contrition. So such a steering of conscience can start an interior process which with the prompting of grace will be brought to completion by the sacrament, by sacramental absolution. So by itself, imperfect, imperfect contrition cannot obtain the forgiveness of grave or mortal sins. But it disposes one to obtain forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. So the reception of this sacrament ought to be prepared for by a sincere and good examination of conscience. After contrition, we go to confession. So confession to a priest is an essential part of the sacrament of penance. So all mortal sins of which penitents after a diligent self-examination are conscious, must be recounted by them in confession. Even if they are most secret and have been committed against the last two precepts of the Decalogue. For these sins sometimes wound the soul more grievously and are more dangerous than those which are committed openly. So what What's the Decalogue? No, I had to go back to the Catechism of the Church. Decalogue, Deca means ten. So Decalogue is nothing but the Ten Commandments. And what are the last two precepts of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the tenth, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So these are internal sins because what does covet mean? Covet means to yearn to possess or to desire to have. It's just there, no? It's just a desire, an interior disposition 
we have not taken action, but the, the mere desire yearning is already a sin. And here, they really took exception to it because, well, there in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, they say it's written there that these sins, the ninth and tenth commandment, sometimes wound our souls more grievously and more dangerously than those which are committed openly. Confession has to be individual and auricular. And absolution continue being the only or ordinary way for the faithful to be reconciled with God and with the church unless physical or moral impossibility uh, makes this mode of confession difficult. So really, uh, individual and auricular, um, even in this pandemic, the church has not changed this way of, of confession. No? The confession of one's faults is born from true self-knowledge before God that comes from examining one's conscience and from contrition for one's sins. It is so much more than a human unburdening. No? It's so much more than a person venting on another person. Sacramental confession is not a human, but a divine dialogue. So on confessing his or her sins, a Christian penitent submits to the judgment of Jesus Christ, who exercises this judgment through the priest. So the priest prescribes works of penance and absolves the penitent's sins. The penitent fights sin with the weapons of humility and obedience. So when we go to confession, uh, this is our greatest weapon to fight, um, to fight sin. Humility and obedience. Why humility? It takes humility, really humility to own up, to, to verbalize, to confess our sins to another person. And then obedience, because we follow whatever um, the priest says. We follow whatever um, penance he gives us. We have seen that many priests you know, really give very easy penance. You know? They say that the priests take on more of the penance do our sin. They take it on upon themselves. But the penance that we receive is very easy, very simple. I remember reading from the life of Saint Jose Maria Escriba that when he first went to confession when he was about seven years old, his mother brought him to, the, to a priest to go for first confession in order to prepare for first communion. 
So he went to confession. And after confession, he went to his mother and he told his mother, um, ma Mother, Mom, can you cook two fried eggs for me? It turned out that that was the penance he received from the priest to eat two fried eggs. I do not know why maybe he doesn't like fried egg or he prefers boiled egg, but that was his penance to eat two fried eggs. And then satisfaction. That's the last act of the penitent. Um, so absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorders sin has caused. With confession, we are raised up from sin. But the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by doing something more to make amends for the sin. He must make satisfaction for or expiate his sins. So this satisfaction is called penance. So the confessor, before giving absolution, imposes a penance, which the penitent must fulfill afterwards. So this penance serves as satisfaction for the sins committed. Its value comes above all from the sacrament of confession. So the penitent, by obeying Christ, fulfills what he himself has established in this sacrament. And Christ offers to the Father this satisfaction by one of his members. So when we go to confession, when we are nervous and we get flustered, there are times or oftentimes we forget what, what penance the priest gives us or we do not hear it clearly. When that happens, let us be humble and simple and ask the priest, Father, I'm sorry, but I did not hear it very well the penance that you gave me, or can you please repeat the penance, my penance again? So let us just own up to it so that we can uh, fulfill that penance. Mm -hmm.